Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and from a beautiful apartment in Brooklyn. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I'll tell you what's up, Andrew. The Belfast Telegraph is reporting that Glentoran goalkeeper Aaron McCary won't be booted out of the club despite his moment of madness at the Oval on Saturday night. The 29-year-old keeper was sent off for striking teammate Bobby Burns after Coleraine made it 2-2. The defender fell to the floor as McCary lashed out. I saw this. Uh, <laughs> I had to begin with it. <laughs> yeah, I saw this over the weekend. And... Um, a few things struck me. First off, yes, um, it's it was interesting to me because I I don't know I didn't see I guess a ton of like the action that in the build up to it, but it was hard to tell just what Bobby Burns had done to be on the receiving end of that. Obviously, something that wouldn't have happened for no reason. Andrew, bad defending is not a reason to attack a team. Oh, no, I don't mean that, but I'm saying in the in the mind of the goalkeeper, Bobby Burns had done something to warrant him, like, yeah, like you said, attacking I him. I don't know, was it a, he didn't track back? Or, you know, if that's the case, then uh, David De Gea should be attacking Paul Pogba and well, about four other Manchester United players. We'll certainly get to that. And then here's the other thing that struck me, and I wonder, so you obviously grew up in more of a, of a soccer culture than I did. Um, right. I'm I am oftentimes surprised with the way I see players on the same team treat each other sometimes. I'm oh. I'm a little bit surprised sometimes that we don't see not necessarily this with an actual like physical assault, um uh, but like on-field confrontations between teammates. I'm surprised we don't see it more often in this sport. Yeah, I mean they're so memorable that uh yeah, the, there is a level of aggression. Goalkeepers uh, the, routinely berate the players in front of them. I don't uh, know you, of, of seeing that. Like, I'm sure it does happen here in American sports, like football, sure. basketball, baseball, hockey. Like, I'm sure you know it, it does happen where teammates get into it like that. But, like, I, I, and, like, anytime you see a player, like, if, if it's, you know, an attacking situation and a guy doesn't make the exact pass that a certain other guy wants, like... Oh, the gestures, the dramatic hands up in the air, the rolling of the eyes. Like, you know, I feel like soccer players in some ways are very thick skinned where they just like they see their teammate react that way in front of 60,000 people and on national television because of something that they just did or didn't do. And they don't care. They just like run back and they kind of give a thumbs up and like they play on. I feel like in American sports, if you saw that kind of like gesticulations and gestures of, of, you know, anger with something that a teammate did, they would, you'd see a confrontation after that. And it, it, in soccer, it just doesn't happen as much as I feel like I'd expect it to, almost. You make an interesting point on the goalkeeper. Ha- having played in goals in Gaelic football, which is essentially the same thing as playing in goals in soccer, you do have, there's there's a heightened tension because you know anything you do wrong, the ball ends up in the back of the net, and uh, it's just an extremely psychologically taxing position to be in. Mm-hmm. And your point about goalkeepers is well made. Peter Schmeichel had a, a screaming match with either Steve Bruce, Steve Bruce or Gary Pallister during a game over, and Schmeichel ended up pushing him out the field. And Schmeichel had this, oh, he had this air about him. Every time he made a big save, he would scream and berate the people in front of him like, oh my God, here I am saving this rubbish team again. And goalkeepers do have that demeanor a lot of the time. Now this is, what what Aaron McCary did is taking it to a, a completely different level. Yes. Uh, but you're right, you're right. It, it, you feel like it should be more common However, we all we all should remember Kieran Dyer and um, uh, who was it? David Batty, just no Lee Boyer, no, Lee Boyer, just, right? Boyer just destroying each other, you know, ripping each other's shirts and punching each other in the middle of the field. Yeah. And we remember Graham Lassau and David Batty in the Champions League for Blackburn, where they punched each other on the field. So you know there is precedent for it, but you're right. I'm surprised it doesn't happen more, considering the amount of um, quote unquote bollockings that players players give each other and like the way that i would expect it to go down is okay goalkeepers routinely berate their defense uh so that's happening and then if said goalkeeper later in that match allows a soft goal like uh, if i were a defender i'd be like what do you got to say now and then that goalkeeper would probably punch me in the face like that's how i feel like it should go but it never does 
What's um, the closest you've come to punching me on the podcast? On like on the podcast? Yeah, because I feel in the like middle, you, like in like in the midst of a show, or um, maybe just at any point in my company. Well, because I am quite, I the, am quite irritating as a person. The, I am aware of it. Yes, you're a know-it-all. Uh, no, you, you, no, you. Oh yeah, absolutely. You're not even. That, well, I mean, okay, okay. You can accuse me of that, fine. But that's not even my irritation. My no, irritation the, the two times like, I've come closest to punching you were the two times that I told you I was DVRing something, and you knowingly spoiled the result for me. If you were in front of me in those two instances, I would have punched you. Simple as right. that. Those okay. are the two that come to mind the quickest. Um, no, but sometimes, you know, I just I just look at you and I burst out laughing, and and I can't I can't like a belly aching laugh, and I can't recover it. And it's like right before we're going to record or I'm supposed to be doing an ad read and I just see you and you're simmering. <laughs> I'm a buffoon to you. And I've, I've grown comfortable with that. I understand that that's how I'm seen. Um, and, you know, the mind kind of recalibrates. Okay, I, I'm a fool now and I move forward as such. Uh, let's get into it, JJ. There's a lot to right. talk about. This was a really eventful weekend in the return from the international break. A lot of memorable games, a lot of memorable goals, some uh, interesting scenes. And let's start with perhaps the most interesting of scenes, I guess, up in the Northeast, where it was day one of the Saudi takeover of Newcastle United. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, it started, obviously, as as brightly as you could have possibly hoped for if you were a Newcastle fan they scored two minutes in and it looked like it was just going to be that kind of day it looked like Tottenham were going to kind of be like the willful opponent who's allowing this scenes of celebration among these fans to just go on okay we'll be that team that allows you to have your day but no very much no the tables turned Tengi and Dombele was sensational for Spurs Um, he got the goal the goal scoring started for them Harry Kane then finally scored his first goal uh, of the season in league play he scored a lot for them in other competitions but in league play he got one that I didn't think in real time I don't think anyone thought in real time was a goal but then VAR to the rescue as he was clearly on side and it was awarded to Tottenham added another one after uh, the the break uh, for a fan who was ill in the stands which we'll talk about that as well but JJ I think the, really the story today was not I mean we can talk about what happened in the game there it was an interesting game mm-hmm. in its own right but what the real story is just the scenes uh among the supporters outside of the stadium there were some protests um it was uh, you put the rundown together today and you used a word that really resonated with me with kind of how i felt about it and that was uncomfortable and yeah. i think um you know i'm wondering in in like the day since that game and watching how just the jubilation of newcastle supporters to kind of be this club now that's going to be filled with riches and and you know I'm sure there are great Champions League nights ahead for them certainly and great players who will go on to wear the black and white stripes for them and I just wonder you know the, those of us who sometimes talk about okay the the Saudi regime and and some of the you know the terrors that they've been a part of and um, do football fans care like is is ultimately this sport like you and I might care and you know other members of the media and certainly thousands millions of fans might care but are we the minority do most fans just come to this sport for the the basics of what it is and I'm not belittling that but just this idea of look my life is crazy uh, I've got a job that I don't love I've got kids who drive me nuts I come to sports for just ah uh, I want to sit back. I want to support my team. I want to be among friends, have a beer. And that's what it is for me. I don't want to get involved in what sort of actions my ownership is a part of mm. and, and this and that. I just love soccer. Uh, I, I wonder, I'm starting to think that that is maybe the majority of fans out there. I, I would, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know quite how to, to answer that question. You say they want to come, they just want to go, I don't want to talk about politics, I just want to go, ah. Well, if they were just going, ah, and having their beer and watching the game, then would they be turned up wearing the mock dress-up of, of people, of, of sheikhs from Saudi Arabia? You know, they're, they're very aware of who their ownership is, and they don't care. It's not like they've decompartmentalized that put it in a box and put it away. No, they know. They were outside singing, Manchester City, we're richer than you. Mm-hmm. You know, they are self-aware. And the way they acted at the weekend was, quite frankly, disturbing. It was very disturbing. It's as if they, armed with all the knowledge they have now, 
uh, their defense mechanism is to just not care and to engage in whataboutery. Look at all the other big companies, tech companies that Saudi Arabia funds, et cetera, et cetera. As if that's a defense for a community organization like, you know, the center of a community like a football club is supposed to be being bought by these heinous people. Uh, and I can't turn away. I can't look away. I can't watch it, Andrew, and not know how this whole thing will be funded down the line. Um, I just can't. Uh, but you, the point you're making about them not caring is is true in another sense. Jamie Redknapp said it, although he is an imperfect uh, v- uh, vessel for this. As Jamie Redknapp says, f- football fans do not care who owns their football club. Um, but they clearly do care in the sense that they cared enough about Mike Ashley owning their football club. They cared a lot. Well, because, what they're doing, because he what wasn't they, giving them what they wanted. Exactly. So this is kind of, these guys are giving us what they want. It's not that they don't, they don't care who owns their football club. They don't care what the people who own their football club do and what they and the crimes that they commit. You know, uh, someone drove a van around in, in probably what was the most, I would say, underappreciated gesture at the weekend, they drove it around uh, St. James's Park with the, with the image of Jamal Khashoggi, the murdered journalist on it. Right. And that, that, that stopped me in my tracks anyway. <laughs> you know. Uh, it's, it, it, was, it was uncomfortable, Andrew. Uh, the way they just, without question, my football club is now going to be in the elite of world football, in the, the top echelon of world football, forever probably. And that's all I care about. You know, famine and genocide in Yemen. Who cares? No one cares. That's that is basically the message that was being being sent out, and uh, that that can't not disturb um, me. It just disturbs me, and I can't speak for anyone else on that. It just does. Well, I think the other thing that it speaks to is the tribal nature of sports. Yeah, like Newcastle fans have sort of been like backed into a corner in this. You know that they are now being cast as as a villain, and they are, you know, they're just. But they kind don't of... have to act that way, Andrew. You know, we make a lot of excuses, me and you included, on the podcast for for fans. Um, I'm not talking about the heavy stuff when it comes to the way they act and uh, in terms of racism and the far right. We all we we regularly call that out, but I'm talking in terms of oh, but they're a great fan base. Oh, why? You know, it's not their fault. Well. They felt enough ownership of the club to protest and some of them to stay away and some of them not to renew their season tickets under Mike Ashley, but they don't feel the same way right now. We can call them out on their on their standards and say it's morally and ethically wrong. Right, but what you're saying... baby them. But what you're saying kind of is what I'm saying. We're, I mean, I feel like we're, we're presenting two separate arguments that really are the same. They okay. wanted Mike Ashley out, and they're happy that this new group is in because why? Because it's just it's the fundamentals of of what I'm talking about with sports. They just want to enjoy it, like that's it. And you're right; they don't care how the sausage is made. They just want to live their life, and this is a part of their life supporting Newcastle, and that's that's it. But but Andrew, this isn't you know this Mike isn't Ashley, a- like Mike Ashley. They hated. They were boycotting. They weren't going to games because the team sucked, and he was the poster boy for the reason why now a new ownership group is in and presumably they're not going to suck. And so happy days are here again. Like that's, that's just the most basic way of looking at it. And I think that, I think today it's Newcastle. I think that, you know, in the past it was Manchester city. It was PSG. You know, it, tomorrow it could be another club. Like I think that it's, it's the combination of fans just wanting to have a good team at all costs and, you know, this is this is the way it's done, and and the tribal well, nature it, of like, okay, well now it's happening to my team. What am I going to do? Am, am I going to stop supporting them? No. Well, it's, I mean, it's the end result of the Premier League and its 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 hyper capitalist model that ends up opening the door to these regimes because they're literally the only ones that can come in and and really take a football club and the costs and the expenses and just completely turn them around and 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 make them into a super team. That's that's what's happened. This is Graham Soonis in his article at the weekend in one of the English newspapers. He was not on the Sky coverage this weekend of 
Newcastle versus Spurs, which I found curious, but maybe not so when you read this. This is a state, he's talking about Saudi Arabia, this is a state in which women enjoy second-class status, gay men and women have the standing of prisoners, and dissenting voices are silenced by the simple method of execution. Yet a shoulder-shrugging acceptance to the takeover seemed to set in almost overnight. Cards on the table. I've worked in the past for the Qatari-owned BN Sports, and that Gulf state is not exactly a hotbed of liberalism. But when you put Qatar's contravention of human rights alongside those committed by the Saudis, it's like comparing a championship side with a top four club. Now, that's a rather clunky way of saying it, I would think. But I get you know, what he's saying, though. Th- this is a new level, Andrew. Like I didn't know anything. I suppose when Abu Dhabi bought Manchester City, you know, if you think of like, you know, Dubai or somewhere like that, you, what, what do you think of? Golf trips, um, high-rise apartments, glass and steel kind of. You see lots of advertisements for them for vacations. Pretty, it's, it's glamour. Yeah, you don't think of that with Saudi Arabia. I mean, we know the ugliness of, of that regime there. We, we know it's in, we've been talking about it either politically or socially for the last, I, I don't know, 30 years. Oh. Yeah, I mean, look. Ultimately, I'm not trying to disagree with you. Like, I, I, I feel the same way. And, and like I said, it, it kind of made me uncomfortable as well. I'm just saying, I don't know how surprised we should be that the fans have have taken to it. Now, the only thing that I would say, kind of to go against that, is when the Super League happened, the the supporters of the at least the Premier League clubs involved were. I mean, staunchly against it. You people look to the protests that went on among Chelsea fans as one of the reasons that it started to collapse. I mean, so supporters were more than willing to go against their own sides to prevent this thing from happening. Uh, So maybe it wouldn't have necessarily been stunning with that still fresh in our memories to see Newcastle fans, you know, accept that this is going to happen, but still at least make their voice heard in some way that, you know, they're not they're not for this. Um, but the way, instead, the way they've fallen, I agree with you. The way they've fallen in line has been has been startling too. You know, it, the dissenting voices are are quite small. I've read some good articles from Newcastle fans who will not go anymore, but they are in the the extreme minority. Yeah, so we'll see. I, I think we're still like we talked about. We want we want to talk to someone about this and just see like what is the feeling there among like among Newcastle support is it as unified as as it appears so we are working on that and hopefully by the end of the week we will we'll have something for you because I think that would be an interesting conversation Um, as for the game itself like I said it it started incredibly for Newcastle um, but credit to Tottenham I mean after that goal and and Spurs went down this was a this was about as dominant as they've been all season Uh, and Dombele, Kane, Son all looked great um, and one guy in particular, Tottenham didn't score in the second half, and they wound up conceding an own goal. Um, but it wasn't really telling. The second half was just so, it was so lifeless from Newcastle. You had an just a, an, a ridiculous, moronic two yellows from John Joe Shelby to essentially give his team no chance. He just looked frustrated, and he's going to take it out on whoever was near him. Um, and I bring up the own goal and, and that because. Um, I kind of felt bad for Eric Dyer that he was on the receiving end of that because he's often been over the last few years a little bit maligned on this podcast and elsewhere. Um, and he's been, I thought he was so good for them again on the day. And he's been, when he's been healthy this season, he's been so good for them. Uh, so even with him conceding a clunky own goal, I wanted to shout him out and not let that detract from what he's done because it feels like he's starting to find his footing as a center back. Um, and so I, I wanted to give him a mention. And I also wanted to mention him as a transition into what happened shortly before the end of the first half, JJ, when once again, this kind of like uncomfortably familiar scene of an, a, a serious medical emergency taking place at a soccer match. Uh, it was once again prevalent here when uh, I think it was the 41st minute. Tottenham were getting ready to take a corner, and clearly Sergio Reguilón had been alerted by fans in the stands that something was happening. He ran to the official who stopped the match. Eric Dyer then sprinted to the side to grab the Newcastle, I think it was the Newcastle team doctor, to bring defibrillators uh, to that fan who was in distress. CPR was being administered, and fortunately the fan was stabilized and is recovering. But once again, a really frightening situation where if a lot of people don't act immediately, 
to help save someone's life, we could be talking about a much different story today. Reggian to be in the midst of 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 a game to be that quick and to notice it so quickly and to then get a have the presence of mind to act quickly. Everyone that acted quickly, it, it was brilliant to see and um, kind of heartening. Uh, that that you know people are on the spot w- willing to help and, and to do it quickly and a life was saved yeah there was a doctor in the stands this was on uh, BBC breakfast there was a doctor dr. Tom Pritchard uh, apparently was in the stands saw what was happening and as you would hope any doctor would in a situation like this volunteered his services and it sounds like he along with these others the the emergency medical teams the Tottenham players the official but this doctor Tom Pritchard who was in the stand sounds like he was really instrumental in saving someone's life um, you know he talked about he said I was sat in the gallows gate uh, the gallow gate end and I could see there was something going on fans were calling over stewards and first aiders and there was a lady doing some, uh, CPR on someone as an A&E doctor I went to offer uh, a hand and see how I could help uh, we gave the guy a shock through the defibrillator, and he was very fortunate because very quickly an intensive care doctor arrived. The uh, the cardiologist arrived, and we were able to bring him back again. Jeez. Oh, what a scene. I haven't heard bring him back again since the summer, and uh, it's 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 such a scary concept. Yeah. It's so scary. Yeah, so in the end, a memorable, kind of unusual day at St. James Park. Um, Bizarre. Yeah, and it's uh, it's Tottenham. 3-2, uh, and they're now, for, for however weird their season has been, up and down, they're fourth right now, or they're tied on points for fourth, technically fifth, uh, tied with Brighton. So we'll see. We'll see where the, the cards kind of fall as they – I don't really know what to make of them right now, to be perfectly honest. Uh, another team, Jay, that it's hard to decide what to make of them, Manchester United, um, as once again they play – it feels like they play a lot of memorable games against Leicester City. Is that just in my head? or No, because you are obsessed with the – uh, 2014-15 game, uh, back in the days of Louis van Gaal and Angel de Maria when there was a new dawn at Manchester United and there was just an unbelievable game in which the KP just erupted. On the Yeah, on Jamie Vardy's goal, the 5-3. Yeah, that was, that was a great game. Um, and even at Old Trafford when they beat them at the end of last season, that was a good game too. Yeah, and they beat them again 4-2. In uh, really, it feels like a particularly morale-crushing loss for Manchester United because this has now become. This isn't just like, you know, a little. Hey, what's what's going on? Is something up? This is now like a thing. They cannot seem to figure this out. Um, uh, with a team that is just so loaded with talent that it's becoming increasingly hard to make excuses for the players. There are no ex- for the there manager. are no excuses, and we've been good on this, Andrew. We have not made excuses, uh, but it's. It seems as if nothing's going to change right now. The nothing being what? It feels the like nothing you're... being that uh, David Ornstein was reporting as things stand, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's position as Manchester United manager understood to be 100% secure. Despite poor run of form, the 48 year old still has the support of the MUFC board, signed a new contract in running until 2024 with an option of a further year. So now, as I understand it, Ed Woodward has not gone anywhere. He doesn't leave his role, his position, until December, I think. I could be wrong. I'm open to be uh, contradicted. And if that's the case, this whole Ole Gunnar Solskjaer nostalgia trip has been his baby. And so Solskjaer is at least guaranteed the next few months. Uh, Here's what Paul Pogba said afterwards. He said, we've been having these kind of games for a long time and haven't found the problem. We've conceded easy and stupid goals. We need to find the key for this change because we deserve to lose. I don't know if it's the mindset of the players. We need to change something. We need to find the mentality and tactics to win. We have to look as individuals and as a team to fix this. Yeah. I wonder if, yeah, Bruno Fernandes had similar statements, and I I just wonder if the manager will hear this and be, be worried. Very concerned, Andrew, when a a player of his stature speaks. I, I would argue that he could have done more to get back uh, on the on the Vardy goal, <laughs> you know, and to shut it down. The, uh, the I think it was the one straight after their equaliser, United's equaliser, and then the, the, the third goal for Leicester, straight from the kickoff. It was unacceptable. Yeah, amazing. Just incredible that that would happen. And uh, Pogba there is out for a leisurely stroll when it's clear, like Harry Maguire can't go to Vardy. He's got to try and stay in that position. And Vardy's just cleverly, with his great movement, pulled off him. But it's uh, it's made even 
more easy for him by the fact that Pogba doesn't get in or doesn't try and get goal side. He's just he just comes in to the frame, you know, gently strolling as 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 uh, as things go south for United in that particular move. Um, so two wins in his last five league games, Andrew. Michael Cox did a he did a piece, and now I know what you're going to say to me after I read this, but. Uh, Michael Cox did an analysis of Manchester United and one of their big problems, in fact, he's a huge bronzed muscular problem uh, called Cristiano Ronaldo. This is what Michael Cox wrote. His previous Manchester United, Real Madrid, Juventus and Portugal sides have been to varying extents structured to cover for him. If you played on the left, the opposite winger would tuck inside more. If you played up front, the wide players or number 10 would play deeper than they would have expected. When Ronaldo leaves, others, Wayne Rooney, Karim Benzema, go up a level because they're no longer playing second fiddle. But Manchester United are not successfully covering for him. Without possession, they are neither one thing nor the other. They don't drop off successfully and form a compact block, and they don't press. The consequence is that the opposition easily play through them. Um, that it's a really good piece in the Athletic. It kind of shows us what we already knew, though. We we saw Ronaldo's pressing stats. He's not giving you anything defensively. He's not giving you anything really. Which, which we always not, knew. Which we which they knew, by the way. That's why I'm not having to go at Ronaldo here. Right. You know this information was available. His age, 36, 37, was available. There was that right at the end when they were trying to to to, to sneak one back. Someone I think it was Bruno clipped a ball over the top. And Ronaldo's just stretching for it. And the 31-year-old Ronaldo might get there, but now he's creaking a bit. He doesn't get there. You know, this was all information they had, and they still went ahead and did it. So there's no excuses, really. Um, but they have to find a way. If he's going to be a absolute starter, then they have to find a way to cover for the things that he won't do, which these days, as he heads into his 37th year, there are many things he won't do. So... It's just, apart from the fact of having a massive character who is just so much bigger than the manager himself, this this tactically isn't working either. It's not. And, and with regards to Ronaldo, you know, it's interesting because you know, we talk about how we always knew what you would get from him. He, like, he's really, it's not like he's underperforming. I, I feel like he is... Generally, I mean, he'll go through stretches where he's probably more invisible than you would like, but we, we kind of knew Ronaldo was entering that phase of his career where he's kind of just pure, The invisible phase. Well, pure goal scorer phase, where like <laughs> that's what he can do. I know, you man. you got to get you, him the ball, and then he can make something happen. He's a, he's a great finisher. You know, So he has scored big goals for them, but you're right. The thing, that, the thing for Manchester United, look, ultimately any team can use an N'Golo Conte. But it feels like them in particular, if they don't have a player who can simulate the sort of things that a Conte does, then like they just have to change the way they play. There's just too there's ultimately too many attack minded players who are just not willing to do the other things. And if you have a Conte, he can clean up the mess for for sometimes playing that sort of style. Like every manager that's ever had him says, it's like playing with a twelve with twelve guys. Like he just does the work of two guys. Um, but United don't have that. And so they're kind of left in these positions where, you know, suddenly any mistake that happens in the back, they're vulnerable. Like like Harry Maguire, for instance, is not he's not a player that I would ever accuse of like not working hard enough. I, I always I believe that he's a good defender. Um, but then you see kind of like the mistake he makes in the build up to the Telemans goal, where he just I don't know, the the pass from was it De Gea that played the ball to him and he just he just like waits and doesn't attack it, and now they're on their heels, and there's not going to be guys, you know, racing back to help him. Um, you know, if they don't have players who are willing to do that in the midfield, then this this may very well continue to happen. It will. We're we're seeing the pattern here. However, the the opposition next: Atlanta, Liverpool, Tottenham, and then I believe Atlanta again before they play Manchester City. So there is some comfort in in this really incredibly tough run of games in that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done well against the better teams. Teams that will come out and play a little bit, it's easier for United to to catch them on the break. That said, that kind of stopped happening towards the end of last season when they played Liverpool at home at Old Trafford and Liverpool scored four goals. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 piece of luck may be running out as well. And if if he doesn't have the big result against the big teams, 
then the bedrock of what Solskjaer laid down at United is gone, and surely he will be too. Uh, before we get off this game, we should say there were some great goals scored in it. Yeah, there really was. Like I mentioned just now, the, the Tielemans goal, I just, I don't know, I love goals that look like that. Just kind of like that looping yeah, finish. You didn't think he was trying to whip one to the far post? I don't know. I'm going to choose <laughs> to believe that that was on yes. purpose. I, I, I yes. do believe that he was trying to score there. Um, the one that I wasn't totally sure of was Vardy's. Was that a mishit that just worked out for him? No, I think he meant it. Okay. Kind of shit. it look, on the volley. To, I mean... Well, no, let's he give him, he's he's a he's world class. He's a great goal scorer. So let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Vardy, uh, fourth career Premier League goal against Manchester United. All four of them being go ahead goals. That's tied for the most versus single opponent. He's right up there at the top of the list with uh, with Mo Salah in the goal scoring charts. Oh, what's he up to? Well, he's just scoring worldies every weekend, <laughs> and when he's not doing that, Andrew, he's playing. 30-yard outside-of-the-foot passes to his friend, longtime friend. They've always been friends, Sadio Mane. Is it possible, so, JJ, that the season is going to end where Mo Salah has the assist of the season and the goal of the season? In the one game. Yeah, it might be. And I think that the goal against Watford was better than the one against Manchester City. Uh, now, mm. Manchester City, higher class of, of opponent, obviously, so that kind of elevates the goal a little bit. But if you look in terms of how many defenders... The tightness of space, it, it's just an unbelievable goal. I don't know how many times I've watched it, the rollover, the way he sits one of the Watford players down, or quite a few of the Watford players down. He's just, he's he's in such a vein of form right now, and there's nobody doing what he's doing right now. Um, are there very few people doing it? If they are, I'm not seeing it. Yeah, the Watford goal was so great because he's just kind of trapped in this box of four Watford right. players. Yeah, Houdini. And you, you almost lose sight of him, and then there he is. He's a, he escapes, and not only does he escape, but he then finishes off in the same way that he did against Manchester City, where he puts a player down from a, tip, a tough angle and finds the back of the net in that the far netting, and it's just like... What can't this guy do right now? I thought that I think it was who was a Kovacic for Chelsea that I thought had my assist of the season um, like a month ago. I, yeah. I got to go back and watch that one again, and then watch this one. You I, really love that one, so don't rule it out. No, I wouldn't rule it out. I, that's what I'm saying. I got to watch them together, kind of like back to back. I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. I don't want recency bias to 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 spoil my head here. But it was a. I mean. Just the way it looked. The well-known phrase, to spoil my head. But just the way this assist to Mane looked, like, I don't know, the outside of the boot and the way it just curves perfectly around the defense, like the ball knows where to go. It's just, do you ever, God. Um, do, you ever watch, do you ever watch snooker or billiards, Andrew? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have. If you're going to talk about the way that they can, like, put spin on the ball to kind of, like, go yeah. around... <laughs> What is That's it what called? It reminded is me it of. called the Masse? Is that like the technique of like doing Ooh, something? Oh, you like do that? know your bit. I actually have no idea. It's something like that. Because I had a buddy of mine growing up who you, we would play pool. He had a he had a table in his house, and we would play pool. And he we we all sucked, but he would do that. He said, "Here, oh Masse," and like he would do this thing where he would try to make the ball go around, and like it never worked. But I just remember that word. Is there a chance he made that word up? Oh yeah, it's distinctly possible. I'm sure we've got. <laughs> I'm sure maybe in our Reddit. Somebody will will be some kind of like billiards aficionado. By the way, I saw some, we we were sent a DM letting us know that we're now up to 406 animals inhabiting the uh, the subreddit. That's it's incredible. I love uh, it. We'll also have to give a, a fantasy Premier League update on uh, Thursday's pod. Okay. Just to, oh yeah, just is to, that 406 in the fantasy Premier League or in the Reddit? I don't know. I don't know. No, in the Reddit. Okay, in the Reddit, okay. there's 406 animals there who yeah. just they're animals, Andrew. There's no way we love them, but they are. Vicious beast. You mentioned before, JJ, about uh, if there's someone else doing the things that Salah is doing right now elsewhere, I'm not sure who. I was thinking about that, um, and I'm trying to think who who is that guy. You know, somewhat quietly, just because it. Uh, I don't know why it's so quiet. Kareem Benzema also should be mentioned um, for a guy who's who's kind of doing some of these things as well. Now they they're a little different in their styles. I think Salah is more creator, which makes what he does maybe more more pronounced like it's it may stand out more um Salah has 11 goal involvements this Premier League season seven goals four assists only Kareem Benzema has more goal involvements in Europe's top five leagues with 16 um so he I think we we should 
say that he's in that class right now as well. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying that there isn't players who are doing exceptional things in Italy and in France. Um, there are, there definitely are, but uh, just the very nature of what he's doing, that kind of elite level dribbling that you think of, you know, the greats doing, Messi, George Best. I don't see many people doing stuff quite like that. In your lifetime, um, have you seen a Liverpool player like this? Yes. Uh, Luis Suarez. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thir- his 13-14 season was just unbelievable. I regularly go back, Andrew. Usually when I've had a few drinks and I come in from the pub and I'm, I just don't want to go to bed yet, but there's nothing on TV. So I cast from my phone, from from YouTube onto, onto the TV. And uh, I often put on, you know, I'll just type in Luis Suarez, 13-14 goals. Mm-hmm. And it's um, unbelievable. Just the range, the style, the type. He was... He was incredible, but Salah, in terms of his longevity and what he's offered, is he's up there now with with Ian Rush and players like that. It's really, and of the Premier League era, he he might be head and shoulders above everyone else. He's try- not quite there on goals, but he's going to get there. I'm trying to think of other Premier League players, kind of maybe in the, in the more recent history of the Premier League, like the last decade or so, that I I feel like I've I've seen them in this kind of form at some point, where it's just you, like every I would I would say De Bruyne has had stretches like this. I would say definitely Eden Hazard yeah. had stretches like this at Chelsea. Certainly, um, and, and and let's not you know going back a bit further, like Thierry Henry. Just well, yeah, that's brilliant. why I was I said the last decade because yeah, yeah, we we could certainly go back further and and sure have names like that a hundred percent. And um, you know Wayne Rooney at United as well. He had some years where he just couldn't stop scoring either. But um, but no, there's a uniqueness to what Sal is doing in terms of his, his dribbling style. If I, I would bring it down, you know, rolling his foot over it, studs on top of the ball, the feints, just next level. The only other person that I can think of that has that similar style is Lionel Messi, and he's perfected it to, to such a high level. Yeah, he's something, and, and they are something as well. I mean, still not quite top of the table. That is inhabited by Chelsea. Um, who we'll talk about right now as they eke by Brentford one nil, but I don't know if that was a I don't know if that was a one nil that they're particularly proud of. No, well, you're not allowed to say that though, Andrew. They, oh. A couple of a couple of supporters got very prickly with me. All all I said was not convinced by the performance. I didn't say that Chelsea that wouldn't be awarded three points. That Chelsea didn't score a great goal, which they did. Ben Chilwell it was their only shot yeah. on target, by the way. I didn't say any of that. I just said that Brentford. Gave them lots of problems. And similar to what Brentford did to Liverpool, you know, they give good teams problems. And I don't think Chelsea were particularly good in this game. Chelsea created just 0.02 XG in the second half against Brentford, according to the XG philosophy. And the final XG was 1.88 for Brentford, 0.28 for Chelsea. You know, that that tells a tale. I'm not having a go at Chelsea. I'm just saying... It wasn't very good. And the difference for me between the Liverpool v. Brentford and Chelsea v. Brentford was Liverpool were very poor defending and got caught out a number of times. Trent Alexander-Arnold, Virgil van Dijk, you know, they had a rough outing against Brentford. But Liverpool created tons of chances, lots of chances. Chelsea didn't. And that is a a curious thing for me right now, considering their firepower. Well, I guess I don't think there's anything wrong with acknowledging... Like even if you're a Chelsea fan, I think you can say, "Okay, we won," but it's not. You never really want your goalkeeper to be the man of the match. No, like that's not a great. That means he's being called into action more than you would like. And now, look, the goalkeeper is a member of the team, and Chelsea happened to have a guy who I believe has has firmly planted his flag as the best goalkeeper in this league in Edward Mendy. So, like that's what a Chelsea fan's comeback could be. Is what is he not on Chelsea? Like we have a great yeah, goalkeeper, but, but but I don't why think why is that? That's so childish. It's such a it's well, such yeah. A I'm, lack look, of... I'm making up a straw man argument. They may not say that. I don't know. I'm just saying that like it's good to can have that. Just, can we not just have you know say all right, Chelsea won the game. That's a great three points, but it wasn't a great performance. Why can't we say those things? Who like, without, who are these people, people giving you a hard time, JJ? I know it, it, it. There is a section of of our listenership who are Chelsea fans who are. Uh, Super cent. They're they're not quite as bad as that. Only say good things about my team, but they are, you know, a little bit sensitive. They think automatically, 
that because I'm tweeting and I'm a Liverpool fan that I can't talk about the game objectively. That that is a that is a a thing that exists. And I was only saying I didn't think Chelsea were very good. Uh, who do they have coming up next? Malmo, I believe, in the Champions League on Wednesday. Um, so that should we'll see how they look, but that should be as far as Champions League matchups go. That should be a somewhat soft landing spot for them. Yeah, they're home to Malmo. Yeah, um, but no, I don't think there's. I don't know. I don't see anything like I can't really understand why a Chelsea fan would hear what you said there and and have an issue with it. I think I don't know. It goes back a little tribalism. bit to the tribalism we talked about earlier. Yeah. No, I guess it, it does make sense. Look, they're still mm. they're the top of the table. They're maybe the best team in the league. Like right now, I think Liverpool are playing better than them, but. It's close. You know, Chelsea defensively are, are really good. It's another, you know, say what you want about how it, it turned out, like how it looked. It is another shutout for them. Uh, so, look, props to your team. They're a great team. But that just wasn't that wasn't a great performance. And we should give Brentford props. Like, I feel bad that Brentford didn't score a goal. They probably deserved one. They certainly did. And um, created enough chances to do it, and it just didn't happen for them. Um, but they're, they're a team that is just so well organized, and they know how to get at the good sides. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've given who are some of the? I mean, who are the big teams now that they've given trouble? Liverpool, Manchester United. They've beaten. They've beaten Arsenal. They've. Uh, they've. Oh, beaten that's Liverpool. what I meant. Uh, they I meant not with, United, they, Arsenal. Yeah, they scored three on Liverpool and should have beaten Chelsea. It's not a bad start. So, not bad. No, uh, I'll tell you what. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, there's a couple. I think two other specifically two other Premier League things that I wanted to mention, and I know there's a couple other news and notes from around the planet as well. So still more caught offside. Don't go anywhere. Back now on caught offside. JJ, there's a couple of things I wanted to mention. I know we did most of our Premier League chat there before the break, but two other things. First off, um, talking about things that made us uncomfortable over the weekend. I, I hope to not have to see another replay of the Josh Sargent miss again. Because I like uh, him and I root for him, and that was that one was as, as a guy who likes Josh Sargent, it was just hard to see. It was horrifying, um, but I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to he 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 favored placement because you don't want to miss an empty net, and he favored placement so much that he and and being particular that he didn't want to hit it too hard. He didn't want to go for power mm-hmm. and then drag it behind. He should have. I'm making excuses. It was a weak side-footed effort. He should have he should have buried it. It was horrifying to see that. But Nicholas Mendela writes for NBC, and he said that Daniel Farke sport. Uh, he spoke to the Norwich paper, The Pinkin. Um, to be honest, speaking about um, our friend Josh Sargent, to be honest, he's probably the most disappointed guy in the whole dressing room because he knows he should score. Then Brighton have to open up more, so it was a key moment. So we have to accept the draw. I have to say he had an outstanding performance. His workload against the ball was good. He was able to keep the ball against a really physical back three for Brighton. He was able to initiate a lot of good situations for us. He brought himself into really good positions alongside Timu, but he knows better than anyone else he should score that scene in the first half. An empty goal, and he underestimated the situation. I actually think he did the opposite. Um, But anyway, he had a chance to take another touch to put the ball easily into the empty net. I thought that too. Yes, that he, that yes he I, think he did. I think he did. Making sure would have been to carry the uh, to carry the ball a little bit further. But interesting, interesting comments. He held the ball up well. The, the things that I talk about Josh Sargent being good at is what Daniel Fark sees in him too. And maybe I'm right, Andrew, that he's not an out-and-out goal scorer and that he is a guy who has to play in a one or a two or maybe a three, holds the ball up well, links to play. Yeah, maybe. By the way, I would say, look, I don't know how good of a manager – or bad of a manager Daniel Fark might be. Pretty good. Um, but I would say that that is good man management. Like, you know, I, I believe that Daniel Fark is is correct when he says there's no one in that dressing room more disappointed than Josh Sargent. I'm sure Josh Sargent was ruined for not having converted that goal because he, he knew what was there for him and he knew what it looked like and how bad that was. And I'm sure he's, he's probably crestfallen afterwards that it's nil-nil. They could have earned three crucial points. Um and so I, I, I don't know, I just like when I see a manager who recognizes the time to kind of like put an arm around a player through the media. And I no, think that's, that was definitely the time to do it. It was good. Um, 
and I, you know, as a, as a U.S. men's national team supporter and as an Irish football team supporter, I'm very conflicted. I'm like, if, if, if Adam Ida, who was on the bench, the Irish striker is looking at that, he's thinking, how can I not get a start ahead of this guy? Um, but at the same time, you know, maybe Sargent is ahead of him in the things that Daniel Fark wants, holding the ball up, blinking play, initiating good situations. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention from over the weekend, you talk about horrifying. Aston Villa up 2-0 in kind of like the final moments. I mean, it felt like the game was just kind of going to play itself out. And here come Wolves storming back three goals uh, with the last coming in the fourth minute of extra time on a with on a brutal deflection, deflection. Yeah. Uh, for Ruben Neves. And Wolves come back and defeat Aston Villa 3-2 uh, in one of the great comebacks of the season so far. Ooh. What a performance by Wolves to just never say die. Yeah, and it's not exactly been going their way this season. But, you know, there's been a few performances. I think the performance against Manchester United deserved more. Um, but it, in a derby, to win it like that, to roar back and win it like that is is huge. And we'll see where they go from here, Andrew, whether they can carry that in and really go on a run of form. And Villa just looks so shell-shocked. Like, once it started, they couldn't. they just couldn't stop it. I mean, even before... The tying goal, like in the build-up to it, Wolves hit the crossbar, and it was like if you're Villa, you you would almost think like, oh, thank God, we we really dodged a bullet there. But like then they still, like Wolves then got possession back, and Adama Traore played in a great cross, and it wound up leading to Connor Cody's like bungle across the line, and it's just like, like I don't know. Sometimes you see this happen in soccer where a team is just. They're on their their back heels trying to just they're just watching the clock almost as much as they're watching the opponent, just like praying, won't this thing run faster? They just like once the dam breaks, they can't stop it. And that was that was certainly what happened to Villa. That was that was hard to watch, I'm sure, if you're a Villa supporter. Brutal. Yeah, extremely tough. Uh and then JJ, I know you had a couple other things from around the world that you wanted to get into. Uh just just to note that the uh the Portland Thorns grabbed the NWSL shield. They had a win over the Houston Dash, so the Shield is theirs, and the Dash are now fighting to get into the, or, yeah, get into the playoff uh, situation there. Um, in Spain, Barca beat Valencia three-one ahead of El Clasico. Iniesta says they can win it, and win La Liga now, um, which is just, I mean, what a turnaround in in mood that would be. Boy, it's um, amazing it, what one win can do. It's crazy. It really is. And uh, but you know they're they're moving up there. They're getting towards that. I think they're only two points behind Real Madrid. They're a few point, a few more points off uh, Real Sociedad at the top of the table. And there was a new position, Andrew, for our boy Sergio Dest, a winger. Mm-hmm. You say? Well, this plays to his strengths in some ways, right? I mean, what was it we literally just said the other night after his game um, in the the U.S. comeback win? in World Cup qualifying, that like he's not on this team for his defense. He's on this team for what he can provide in attack. And maybe Barcelona are seeing that and are just going to go with it, lean into it. Yeah. Uh, Diego Gorsieta wrote this in AS. Um, Des played as a right winger for the game instead of his usual right back position. And thanks to his speed, generated plenty of opportunities for or of options for Barcelona in attack. The 20-year-old Dutch-American played 87 minutes against Valencia, winning seven duels and completing four dribbles and closing his impressive performance with the assist for the third goal. That deserves a Sally Field, you like me. You like me! There we go, Andrew. Yeah. yeah, look, I mean, look at the three goal scorers for Barcelona in this game. You have Ansu Fati, you got Memphis Depay on a penalty, you got Philippe Coutinho. Like, I don't know, I, there have been weeks where I've continued to peddle this line and I felt dumb, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it all throughout the remainder of the season. I don't care what the final results are. There are still really, really, really good, bordering on great players on this team. I I don't disagree with you, Andrew. And, uh, you know, they have to, (laughs) Kuman has to find a way to get something out of this collection of pretty great talent. Let's be honest. Um, So, and maybe it is happening. Maybe they, maybe they go on now, Andrew, they usurp Real Sociedad at the top of the table and there they stay. Well, th- obviously, this weekend will be telling. And look, Barcelona, I believe we're, they're still seventh. Um, now, I mean, the point differentials, they have a game in hand over Real Sociedad, who are atop the table. Obviously, there's other teams between the two of them. Um, but the, the point differences are still so thin where it's hard to make any judgments, really, between first and seventh, where Barcelona are. But a win over Real Madrid uh, this coming weekend would 
I mean, it would move them ahead of Madrid. Uh, so uh, that one that one could be telling in whether or not Barcelona are what they could be in terms of potential or are what they've appeared to be so far this season, which is a, a disappointment. By the way, the, the buyout clause on Pedri's new deal, over a billion. Uh, <laughs> it's like they want someone to have that offer so they can clear some of their debt or all their debt. I mean, it's... I want to remember this moment of you and me talking about a billion dollar or billion, what is it, euro buyout clause, and you and me sitting here laughing about it. Because, JJ, the day will come. The day will come where well, that you, where that will Newcastle not look could ridiculous. Do it at, <laughs> Newcastle could do it without blinking. That's, <laughs> that's the facts of it. Um, I just, just a couple of things from MLS before we close out, Andrew. LA Galaxy with a nice win over the Portland Timbers. Old man, Javier Hernandez, and even older man, Sasha Kleshton, with the goals. And in New York, well, New York is red. Well, Harrison, New Jersey is red. As the Mm. Red Bulls win the Hudson River Derby 1-0 at the weekend, which was probably the, the highlight game in our domestic soccer here in these United States. It's interesting what the Red Bulls are doing. First of all, we we had obviously earmarked this one as being a really important game in the Eastern Conference playoff picture, especially if the Red Bulls were to win, it would kind of throw things into further chaos, which is awesome at the end of a, a regular season. We love that. And so that has now happened. This this turnaround from the Red Bulls, I don't know how good they are. I don't know how this season is going to play out for them. They might even wind up missing the playoffs, for all I know. But they had six wins in their first 20 games. They now have five wins in their last nine. Right. This has been an impressive turnaround in a very short span to drag themselves back into contention. So I do give them credit, and I believe they're now going to go undefeated against their New York rivals this season, uh, which is a small victory. Obviously, they want more than that, but it, it's uh, bragging rights have to mean something. Uh, so Andrew, credit to them. From at- from Atlanta down, Atlanta 42 points, D.C. 41, Montreal in 7th, 41, the last playoff place, and then New York City and New York Red Bulls tied on 40 points, all trying to scramble in and make, in, make it into the playoffs. Chaos is what you said, and chaos is what it is. Yeah, so it was a good day, good weekend for New York Red Bulls fans as they, I mean, that could have really, it could have buried them in many ways, and NYCFC would have relished the opportunity to be the ones to do that, but Red Bulls are still alive, uh, so... Yeah, keeps the end of the season playoff picture in the Eastern Conference, which was always going to be interesting because it's it's nuts. Um, but now you have that dynamic as well with the two New York teams potentially battling it out. Anything else, JJ? No, that's me done, Andrew. For now. For now, indeed. We um, we hope to have another one of these for you later this week, as uh, it is once again a European week. The Champions League beckons. Uh, and we look forward to that. Lots of good matchups during the week. So hopefully, what are we? We're looking at what a Thursday? You think? Uh, I, I think a Thursday podcast, Andrew. Hopefully, we might have a guest too. You know, little flavor. Yeah, we, we shall see. Uh, all right. Well, this was a fun weekend in the Premier League. Lots happened. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We will be back, like I said, most likely with another one later this week. Good stuff, JJ. Hey, to you, I say. Take it later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, Andrew. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 